What's up, Midas Mighty, and welcome to the Midas Touch Podcast. Ben Micellis joined by Brett Micellis and Jordy Micellis. Whether you are watching us live right now on YouTube and seeing Jordy just I love the live format. Jordy loves the live format. All he's doing is doing the Arsenio Hall fist bump right yeah, now. Jordy's just performing for the, for the camera. Podcast. Jordy's performing for the camera. Soon this is going to become the, from the Midas Mighty to the Magic Mike podcast, I think, with Jordy now playing to the visual aspect of the pod. We have <laughs> a, a great a guest. Component. We have a great guest for you today. Then I'll let you fist bump yourself more, Jordy. We have Ellie Honig on the Midas Touch podcast, CNN senior legal analyst. Are you just going to fist bump the whole time of this podcast? I'm pumped, man. We have a great guest. We have a great show ahead of us. We're live chatting with everyone in the Midas Mighty. It's going to be a good show. We've got a senior CNN legal analyst, a former federal state prosecutor. He's the author of The Hatchet Man, how Bill Barr broke the prosecutor's code and corrupted the justice department you don't see this on cnn you don't see this on msnbc actually you do because they play our clips all of the time and speaking of which did you see our clip the other day with eric swalwell where alex swalwell compared the gqp to the wwe tucker carlson put us on his show and tried to trash us but it seemed it just brought attention to the fact that they are the wwe performative fucking monsters yeah he played right into what swalwell was saying swalwell called them basically performative assholes who just lie for a living and once again no offense to the clown community for for those who listened last time um but and Tucker kind of proved our point by showing that and then making just such a scene about it. But I appreciate Tucker for uh, sharing our message to his audience. Hopefully I don't somebody appreciate him. Fuck that guy. Uh, well, yeah, fuck that guy. Fuck yeah, that yeah, guy. no, definitely fuck that guy. But also for shit, all the people right. who who might as you preach Tucker. to the choir, you don't you don't break through the echo chamber. Well, well, fuck you. Look, look fuck you guys. <laughs> Ray, you know, Ray, Tucker, for those watching, here's the echo chamber. Here's the echo chamber. Here's Biden breaking through the echo Boom. chamber. We're just going, okay, we can't turn this into WWE. Okay, but let's talk about breaking through the echo chamber because apparently, guys, we caught the attention once again of Marjorie Taylor Greene. And Uh. she just, this woman cannot stop thinking about Midas Touch. For all you listening to the podcast, you all remember that we sued Marjorie Taylor Greene a few months back, successfully settled with her for $10,000 for legal fees, which we then donated to two incredible gun reform groups, uh, Orange Ribbons for Jamie and Shannon Watts Organization. And it just seems like Marjorie Taylor Greene cannot get over it. Even just last week, there was a story in the New York Post where she was feuding with Caitlyn Jenner, where Caitlyn Jenner was mocking Marjorie Taylor Greene for settling the lawsuit. And that clearly got under MTG's skin even more because Marjorie held a press conference to talk about corporate communism, whatever the hell that means, about Twitter blocking her for 12 hours and made it a point to highlight unasked calling Midas Touch a quote unquote communist pack. That's what you referred to us as a communist pack. Let's take a listen. Imagine this. Not too long ago, I was sued by a communist pack for banning them from my page because of the horrible, nasty things they were saying to me on my Twitter page. And they sued me because you want to know what they said? They said that they could not uh, see what I was saying. By being banned from, that, from my Twitter page, I was, I was stopping their First Amendment and they couldn't see what I was saying. Therefore, they couldn't participate. So, Ben, Marjorie Taylor Greene came out on a public forum. She made it a point to make an incredibly defamatory claim against Midas Touch calling us a communist pack, we immediately demanded a public reaction from Marjorie Taylor Greene for defaming public us. Retraction, that, which, public, public retraction, but also a public reaction. A public retraction. 
I was thinking of Jordy fist pumping. So I thought, well, I could just, real quick, I could just say you could tell which one of us played sports by who does the better hand motions during the YouTube live podcast. And your reaction retraction is just like your Rico Rico thing. You got some weird hangups on legal terms, Brett. Ben, go ahead. <laughs> but what's what's the next step, Ben, here? I mean, this it seems like Marjorie is upset. But let's face it, Marge, you settled with us. You didn't have to settle with us. We could have taken this to court, but you settled with us in this federal lawsuit voluntarily on your own volition. Yeah, she was represented by a lawyer. You're represented by an attorney. We donated the proceeds to amazing gender form groups. So now if you're going to make these defamatory statements and try to harm the brand of Midas Touch, a group fighting for democracy every single day by referring to us as communists, I think it's only fair that we now take immediate legal action against Marjorie Taylor Greene. Ben, what say you? Well, considering I'm the lawyer and we'll have to eventually draft up this complaint, um, I think that there it, it, it is. Think about it. We actually executed the agreement emphasizing our passion for pro-democracy. Our entire brand is built on pro-democracy and celebrating democracy exactly here, in fact i signed the document as the pro-democracy chair yeah you signed the settlement agreement touch. as pro-democracy chair everybody knows us knows our number one thing that we emphasize about us is pro-democracy unapologetically pro-democracy you know that's on the merch it's in all of our messaging and so when a individual with the platform like hers you know makes these comments directed at us um it has it 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 has the impact of defaming us and we have our rights to pursue legal action um we will pursue legal action Midas touch doesn't make idle threats we we do the things that we say um we're going to do one of the things that and i've i've worked for plenty of people like this in the past one of the things i hate the most is when somebody hypes something up and says, I am going to do X, Y, and Z and doesn't deliver. And that's why a Midas touch, we make it a point, whether it's a plane in the air that says loser palooza over a Trump <laughs> rally or suing Marjorie Taylor Greene. When we say we are doing something, we do it and we show you the results because we are a results-based organization. And I think that's why we've had the success that we've had. You got to back it up with action. You can't just be words in this day and age. There are too many people just throwing out words and, and things. We need to take action to save our democracy. Speaking about results, tick talk we always say the clock is ticking the wheels of justice move slowly but they are moving want to talk with ellie honing when he comes on the podcast a bit later about what we're seeing now with these new prosecutions that seem to have been squashed under the trump administration but we're seeing all these indictments now um, begin to boil to the surface and i said TikTok here because I am also talking about Tick, the Trump inaugural committee. Their Ooh, head, good transition, a, yeah, smooth. Um, their uh, head of their committee, Tom Barrick, seventy-four years old of Santa Monica, California, um, was charged in federal court in Brooklyn, New York, with acting as a unregistered foreign agent trying to influence U.S. policy on the United Arab Emirates' behalf while Trump was running in 2016 and later while he was the president. The indictment goes to the heart of the relationship between the UAE and the U.S. and the de facto ruler in Abu Dhabi. Um, and Barrick is one of Trump's close friends, advisor, ran the tick. In that context, that sounds a little weird. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I think that it's about a 40-plus page indictment, four counts, um, very compelling evidence. But let's be clear. When Trump went into office, he sold our country for his own well-being. He sold our national security. He sold our infrastructure. We joke it was infrastructure week every week, but it never happened. I'll tell you who it was infrastructure week for. Our foreign adversaries mm -hmm. and foreign governments who were able to seize 
American capabilities, American infrastructure um, through Trump just selling it out to the highest bidder. That began immediately, immediately when Trump was um, elected. Um, and as the inauguration was about to start, you even saw the people walking in Trump Tower. You'd see the little they had a live stream. No one said they had to have a live stream of their crimes. They live streamed it all. Do you think Trumpers woke up the other day, though, to see the Tom Barrack news and saw Barrack and read it as Barack? And we're like, we got, we got him. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, absolutely. That definitely happened way more times than than it didn't. Oh, shit. Not that Barrack. They're saying Barrack is a flight risk because of his wealth and his access to all these foreign governments. And what I'm curious about now is because when you look now at the past, you see, you remember, we all remember all of Trump's ties to Saudi Arabia and UAE. We all saw it. We all remember it. And we all saw that Jared Kushner was intimately involved in all of this. Kushner orchestrated the blockade of Qatar. He took a bribe to lift it. Barrack ran interference. So I think this could only mean that the sharks are circling. Jared, get ready because you could be next. Look, I'm seeing Eli Honig in our chat here a little early, but why don't we bring Ellie in right now? I'd love to get the interview with Elian now. I um, think the timing's perfect. Why don't we take a very quick Midas Mighty commercial break and we will be right back with Ellie Honig. What's up, Midas Mighty? Before we get into our interview with Ellie Honig, we wanted to tell you about a new item in the Midas Touch Door that I am super excited about. As you all know, I am a huge coffee drinker. I am the resident Carista coffee drinker Brett. of Midas Touch. And so you knew we had to release a new coffee mug you know, that I am just extremely passionate about. And we got one in the store. It is the vaccinated and caffeinated coffee mug. I love this one so much. I've already ordered mine. I hope you ordered yours. Start your day right. You're safe, you're protected, and you're ready to go. Get your vaccinated and caffeinated mugs now at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. We are joined by none other than Ellie Honing, CNN senior legal analyst, former federal and state prosecutor, and of course, the best-selling author of Hatchet Man, How Bill Barr Broke the Prosecutor's Code and Corrupted the Justice Department. But I think there may also be some similarities, Ellie, with the Midas brothers. I mean, I understand um, attorney, attorney, three brothers. Tell us yes. about that. Yeah, this this is creeping me out in the best possible way, guys. I love that it's I love that it's a three brother podcast. So I am one of three brothers as well. One attorney, only me. I know Ben is the attorney, right? I'm the only attorney here. We have a Ben. One Whoa. of the other Honigs is a Ben. Whoa. No Brett or Jordy. Pete is the other one. Jewish brothers, three brothers. Where are you guys from? <laughs> from Long Island. Oh, so far away. I'm from New Jersey. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Two sides of the Listen. same coin, Ellie. I want to officially you went to Timberlake camp. <laughs> I went to, we went to, camp went to Syracuse Lord, University. But, you know, I feel like I, I went to Rutgers. I, I feel like I, I need to officially challenge you guys oh. to either or both of a three on three basketball game. You'd probably beat us. But more realistically, a three on three comp, uh, trivia competition. Honig brothers versus uh, my Salas brothers. My wow. Brothers. So. Listen, we've got range. We've got I'm a lawyer. I'm the oldest of three. You probably may have figured um, my middle brother the, is the an lawyers English... tend to be the oldest. Yeah, exactly. Is that the same? Ben, are you <laughs> yeah. the oldest? I can't exactly. tell. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, we we look like we could be like first or second cousins. As well. <laughs> I, was thinking, <laughs> that I wasn't sure. If, 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 yeah, I think that like if we ran a 23 and me or whatever that is, like yeah. we would probably find out that I'm we sure, are like, related. Right. I'm sure like my great aunt is married to your great uncle or something <laughs> about it. Um, but we have just just to intimidate you a little bit. We have we have I'm a lawyer. My middle brother is a high school English teacher, so he knows all the books and literature and whatever. And my third brother and is a um, 
is a what we like to say he works in a flavor factory he works in a factory that makes like if you've ever had like pie you've had pie fillings or like the flavorings that go into slurpees and um i don't know about slurpees specifically but they do things it for sounds Dunkin like a Donuts. child's dream job it's like yeah, video it game tester, flavor <laughs> tester <laughs> I, it, it, no, he, yeah. he, he would from time to time bring us experimental flavors or like if you ever Ooh. like don't go to Rita's water ice with him because he ruins all the mystery. Like I remember <laughs> him once saying like, <laughs> well, how about this? Said, we'll do an academic decathlon. Yes. So we'll mix yes. in some sports. Yeah, some, it's got to be a combination because set it up, because, set yeah, it up. It's got to be a we, bit of everything we, we, for sure. We'll do it for charity. You know, <laughs> fundraiser it. would be awesome. Anyway, I love it. I'm in. Yeah. But let me ask you this, Ellie. Did you and your brothers, though, start a communist pack, according to Marjorie Taylor Greene? <laughs> did, did, did you found one? I cannot say that we've ever founded any pack or any communist organization. <laughs> you know how weird it is for us, Ellie, as we're watching Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's become the face of the Republican Party, give a press conference, totally butchering. They, they have no clue what the First Amendment is and what the rights <laughs> are HIPAA. of private tech companies like Twitter. But to see her focused on me and my two brothers yeah. and calling us communists, you know, I think to where I was, you know, practicing more in courtrooms two years ago to where I am now, I was telling the brothers I was writing a motion up at like 3 a.m. just to try <laughs> to still maintain my legal career somewhat. But right. I'm thinking like, what the hell has happened to this country where we have GOP calling me and my brothers communists? There, there are some enemies, I guess, that, that you should be proud of. And um, I look, I don't identify strongly with either political party, but I think it's safe to say Marjorie Taylor Greene is somebody I do not respect or trust and, and you should be proud of that. Enemy. It's a bold, and bold I, stance, Sally. I, <laughs> I know, I know, right. And <laughs> coming out with Ellie's, super Ellie's controversial contra stuff. Ellie's controversial takes will be the spinoff <laughs> podcast. Marjorie Taylor, she's uh, well, nuts. Well, I will tell you guys, to, right, to, to link it into the book, um, I got a, Bill Barr. a Shit. Yeah. well, but here's the thing we got a review. I got my book, got a review from the national review, um, which was, uh, I don't want to, I, I understand it's not good form to like complain about a review, but let's just say it was a, it was fashioned as a negative review, but it really was not a review in any sense. It was an ad hominem thing about how Ellie Honig and CNN suffer from Trump derangement syndrome, followed by like, this ode to Bill Barr, this never ending. I don't know anybody who got to the end of this, um, just about how Bill Barr was a statesman that we should be thankful for. And I was like, couldn't have been happier when they wrote this. I mean, for the National Review to come out like that angry, like nothing could be better. By the way, that's happened to us countless times by like Breitbart and websites like that, yeah. where we read them. We're like, this isn't even like negative. Like, like you said, it usually starts yeah. off with some ad hominem attack. Usually, you know, links Ben to Colin Kaepernick because Ben is Colin Kaepernick's right. business partner and attorney. And they try right. to make that the whole like negative behind the story. And then it's kind of like just a press piece for us. And we're like, OK, <laughs> thanks for yeah. sharing our video listen, with your people. And if you're in this world, or as Ben knows, if you're a lawyer, I mean, you have to have thick skin, right? I mean, you're, you're constantly getting accused of things and, and your words get twisted and all that. And uh, although I will say, like, doing the book was was a really, um, you're really exposed when you do a book, right? I mean, I'm on CNN all the time. I say, you know, and, and people don't always like everything I say. And I hear about it on Twitter and all that. But a book, you're really out there. You're really putting yourself out there and exposed. And thankfully, the People, who, not to overly plug it, but people who've read it seem to have loved it. The Amazon reviews are through the roof. So uh, so I'm proud of that. But it's a little scary in ways that we can talk about if you want. So, And, and let's talk about how scary it is. Do people, you think, though, I, 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 we were joking before, Bill Barr, bad. But do you think people truly, though, understand the, the, the potentially decades-long damage and maybe more? that yeah. he's done to this justice department that you are a federal prosecutor and you could, you see it firsthand. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I mean, you're right. I think Bill Barr bad is sort of the, the, a, a three word summary of the book. Although there are, there are really are defenders of his out there. Um, yeah. So 
my problem with Bill Barr, I have many problems with Bill Barr and the way he did the job. And the way I set it up in the book is I base it all off of my own experience as a prosecutor with the Southern District of New York in Manhattan. And I open the book and I have throughout the book a lot of different war stories, things that I did at trial, um, lessons I learned, investigations we did, usually involving me screwing up because that's when you learn most sort of intensely, getting yelled at by judges, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And for each of those stories, I pull out a principle, a principle that you can really only learn by doing the job. It's sort of like every industry has its own unwritten code. This is what I call the prosecutor's code, whether it's baseball or the media or law itself, wherever you are, you have these unwritten rules. We have plenty of written rules we have to follow as prosecutors, but the real core stuff, the principles, the ideals are things that you can only learn by doing. And Bill Barr destroyed those principles, which are very basic in some respects, other times are more complicated. And it will take DOJ a long time to recover. The best way I can put it is this. When I first started at DOJ, my boss sat me down. I was 29 years old. It's a little scary to think about now that I'm an old man of 46. But he said, basically, look, when you get up in that courtroom and you say, Ellie Honig, representing the United States. First of all, that's an enormous privilege that you should never take for granted. Second of all, people will believe you. The judge will believe you. The jury will believe you. Inherently, the public will believe you. And that's not because you're you. You're nobody. Nobody knows you. Nobody cares about you. It's because you're part of DOJ. And we've built up that trust over many, many decades. And it's really easy to lose it. So don't F this up, he probably said to me, knowing Dave Kelly, who's a great guy. Um, and I and that's true. I mean, but it's been really worn away by Bill Barr because he lied to us so many times because he played politics uh, so excessively with DOJ that I think people don't trust DOJ anymore. I mean, ask yourselves when you hear now DOJ has come out and stated this. Do you trust that the same as you did five years ago or eight years ago or 10 years ago? I think most people would say no. No. And, and it's because. They attacked their own institutions. Trump literally picked Indeed. the people, whether it was in energy, whether it was in commerce, whether it was in justice. He literally would pick the person who was anti it. Yeah. But not just anti it in like, hey, let's make it smaller government. But people who were like, let's just fucking blow this whole thing up. <laughs> By right. the way, Ali, 46 is like I was going to say that. That was such a light flex by you there. You just threw it. Yeah, by the way, I'm 40. Like, Not that Ellie, 46 look, is old. What, what do you, Ellie, you look like? Routine? You can be 26. Yeah. yeah. What, what's going on here? Thank you. Uh, I appreciate I have a 16 year old son. <laughs> if he walk, you, you may see him. Uh, if you see bomb a man bomb being dropped. If you see a man walking around back in that kitchen, don't don't panic. My house has not been broken into. That's my 16 year old son. Um, I, I do say I, I but I, I say 29. I can't even I have no idea how old you guys are. But I mean, there is something to that because I hired when I when I came back to Jersey and I was a a boss, I was in charge of the whole criminal side of the AG's office. I would hire these people. And it's scary because it's like people say it's like giving a child a machine gun because you have such dramatic power as a prosecutor. You can you can take away people's liberty. You can destroy lives, careers, reputations, families. And you have such power. and, And, you know, you mature. I matured. I talked in the book about decisions I made when I was younger as a prosecutor that I never would have made when I was older, or thankfully that came along when I was older that I'm not sure I would have handled right when I was a mere 29. So um, that's sort of the relevance to the book. But boy, I was green when I started. To that point, I remember one of the first times I went to a political event. It was Kamala Harris running for AG out here in California. And she said exactly what you just said, which is she goes, the one thing I learned about being a lawyer as a prosecutor is the power of my pen. Yes. And she goes, and and I think the power of your pen, what you sign your name to is something that was completely lost in the Trump administration in terms of what they prosecuted and didn't prosecute. So going yep. to the Tom Barrick situation and, and prosecutions that we're seeing like this, people yep. who kind of flagrantly 
spike in the football, aiding and abetting foreign governments. Like you literally saw them in Trump Tower walking in with the posse when the Trump administration started on live streams. You know, I, I really yeah. like, this was not hidden shit. This was right out there. But the power of the pen that went the power of the pen by Barr was to let that happen. The yeah. power of the pen was to 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 allow people to get off um, from 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 these horrible crimes. But the power yeah. of the pen here is to prosecute. Yeah. And I think it goes both ways. I mean, Bill Barr used that power of the pen. I, th- I like that phrase. First of all, he covered up for Donald Trump. I mean, the original sin here was the Mueller report, right? The way that Bill Barr lied to us, manipulated about the Mueller report, I argue in the book, he single-handedly saved Donald Trump's hide. And not only did Bill Barr lie to us about the Mueller report, but he was exceptionally deceptive in the way he rolled it out to the public, right? And this is one of the things that people keep saying to me, and this happened to me as I was writing the book is, you know, I remember this incident, but I forgot how many incidents there were and how bad there were and how many details there were. And this is sort of a, a phenomenon that has come out of a lot of the corruption that we've seen um, recently, which is there's just so much of it that it just tends to all, you know, we used to sometimes say to, to juries, like, I know there's a lot going on here. If you had a lot of crimes, like I would do mob cases and we would say, but, but don't get numb to this. Every one of these crimes or in Trump's case, every one of these scandals matters on its own. But here's a, I'll give you a little example. We all remember Barr lied to us in his four page letter about the report. There's no mystery yep. about that. Mueller wrote a letter to Barr saying essentially you lied. Numerous federal judges have said he lied. But do we remember these two details? Do you guys remember? I want to put you on the spot for a second. So Bill Barr writes this letter. He's the first person to get the Mueller report. He gets it on a Friday. It takes him all of two days to purportedly read and digest the Mueller report and come out with this sweeping conclusion that it's all good for Trump, nothing bad in there. We learned that was very one-sided, very dishonest. Do you remember how long Bill Barr then withheld the, the Mueller report from the public, from Congress? How many days, weeks, months passed between Bill Barr issuing his BS four-page letter and us seeing it. Do you guys remember? Can I put you on the spot? Brett, give me an give me a guess. Man, I, I have no I have no idea. Um <laughs> t- we're gonna play prices t- right two here. Weeks. I'm gonna say the actual weeks, report. Ben, I'm gonna say the report was months after, and it was just the press release that was there for, for months for a few weeks. Jordy? That was three weeks. Definitively. So Jordy, I'm gonna give the win. 27 days. 27 days. All we had to go on 30. was Bill Barr's bull. Crap. I don't know what your rating is right, here. Go, go. Curse let rating. It, no, let please curse. It, and by the way, this is, this is a big moment for me right now. This is a big win. I'm going to be rubbing this in the brother's face <laughs> for the next like three weeks. So congratulations. Thanks. Except uh, I said it felt like months. So I was like, <laughs> okay. I'm still giving it to Jordy. That's a judge's decision. Um, all we had for 27 days was this BS four page report. And then by the time the Mueller report came out, it's way too late. By this point, Everyone's already formed their opinions. Trump's already declared victory. Everyone's already said no collusion, no corruption. Go home. It comes out and people went, holy shit. This is this is he completely lied to us about what was in there. Here's another one other detail because I can't resist. There was a point during that 27 days. We'd not seen the report yet when Bill Barr was testifying in Congress and he was asked, has anyone on has any member of Mueller's team expressed any displeasure to you about the way you've summarized the report in your four page letter? And Bill Barr, cameras rolling, leans into the microphone, well of Congress and goes, no, no. Comes out a week or two later, Mueller had already written him a letter, that letter that we've all seen now that said you have mischaracterized the substance, nature and content, something in the context of our report. And now a couple of weeks later, Barr's back in front of Congress. Now we've all seen this letter and one of the senators, I think it was Leahy, says to him, dude, you lied to him. You were just asked if anyone on Mueller's team had expressed report, any, any, any problems with you. We now know you got this letter and you said, no, you were lying to us. And Barr comes up with this. If you read it, it's ridiculous. This mush mouth garbage, like word salad. But ultimately, his defense ended up being, well, I don't interpret any member of Mueller's team to include Mueller. And he's the one who wrote me the letter. I mean, come on. Like, we're allowed to say that's bullshit. And I don't accept that at a certain point. That is a dishonest thing for anyone to say, never mind an attorney general. And it gets back to the point we were talking about why why people don't trust him and certainly didn't trust DOJ under him. And I think what some of our listeners hearing that, though, are probably scratching their heads about, though, it's like, well, why doesn't anyone do anything about it? Why are why are we so all about 
comedy when it not C-O-M-I-T-Y. Why are we all about being helpful and collegial when we have people like Bill Barr who are flagrantly violating the law? And aren't the people like the bars of the world, the Trumps, the Kushner, aren't they playing the 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 comedy folks? Literally as jokes, yeah. aren't they playing us as fools if we're not prosecuting? You could do what you can do, Ellie. You write the book. You're exposing it. Right. You're putting it out there. You're not a prosecutor. That's all I can do. I don't have subpoena though? power. I don't have grand juries anymore. Yeah. Right. Um, you're right. And there's a couple a couple things about that. You know, people want to know specifically what will happen to Barr. Realistically, he's not going to get prosecuted. I mean, especially by Merrick Garland. I want to talk about Merrick Garland in a second. He's not going to get prosecuted. Look, lucky for Bill Barr, it's not a crime to lie to the public because God help him if it was. Um, You know, the closest he came to any provable, chargeable crime would be lying to Congress, like the thing I just told you. But nobody's going to charge that because they're going to say, oh, he had some mush mouth explanation or whatever. It's hard to charge a perjury case. Um, He could have his bar practice, uh, his, his license could be in jeopardy. There have been complaints lodged against him. He's licensed in D.C. and New York. Look, we just saw Rudy lose temporarily lose his license. I think Sidney Powell and those folks probably will as well. That's possible. And then the book. I mean, look, it's it's a, it's a humble book. Uh, it's just a book. Um, it's done. You know, it's gotten a lot of attention. It's done well and all. But part of the reason I felt it was important to write this is because I think it matters. I think if you don't have one, this was, by the way, not by design. And you can tell by the other stuff that's behind me, including like my <laughs> my liquor, bo- my family liquor bottles and stuff. I did not plan this. Um, but, you know, this having a little book, it, it there is this is the only thing that will will contain this. And otherwise, if, if not for this, if people didn't have it in one spot, Bill Barr would succeed in revising history and make no mistake, he is trying his damnedest to, and he's not the only one out of the Trump administration who's trying to whitewash his own history. And he said it yeah, himself, right? right? I mean, he re- I, I remember that yes. interview that he gave where he said history is written by history the winners. History is written by the which winners. Which was a very Absolutely. honest, candid comment by him and also, you know, horrifying. Yep. And he tries to play like, oh, I'm sort of this grandfatherly figure who's above it all. And I don't really care. He's very sensitive to his public perception. He does media. Um, I can't prove this, but there's a lot of if you look back over the last four years, there's a lot of single source, unnamed source with familiarity. And it's a one on one conversation with him and Trump. Like, gee, who who could have that been? where he looks good and Trump looks bad. Um, but but Bill Barr's really in earnest now. Look, first of all, he's writing his own book. That'll be good. That comes out in 2022. Believe me, my paperback will come out the same day or, or, or a week before that, um, because I do not want to let who's going to buy his boring ode to himself, by the way, um, yeah, who's which the audience will be full of that? BS. <laughs> but he will. He's already doing this. He gave an interview to John Carl, very good reporter um, for The Atlantic a couple of weeks ago, a week or two before my book published where he reminded Jonathan Carl that he had stood up to Donald Trump and said, no, there's no evidence of election fraud. He did. He did do that. It's in my book now. But when did he do that? He did that in December of 2020 after the election was over. And Brett, like you just said, Bill Barr understands history is written by the winners. Any sane person by December understood it was over and Donald Trump and all his people were out of there in a couple of weeks. Bill Barr, I think, you know, why did he do it? Maybe he did the right thing. I'll give him some credit. It was right that he came forward. Um, I think he was also did not want to be lumped in in the dustbin of history with the loonies, the, the, the Rudys and the Jenna Ellis's and the Sidney Powell's, but noticeably absent from Bill Barr's self-image rehabilitation tour and from the article in The Atlantic because any mention of the fact that Bill Barr spent six months before the election fanning those flames. He's one of the biggest election fraud cheerleaders out there. He changed DOJ's rules to help Donald Trump. He went on national TV, national radio, went in front of Congress and spouted that BS about the massive threat of election fraud. And every time he was asked, do you have proof? He said, no, it's just something I know. It's just common sense. It's just obvious. Um, And he lied. He lied to Wolf Blitzer. He made up this case about 1,700 false ballots in Texas that actually involved one false ballot and DOJ had to issue a correction the next day. Um, so Bill Barr is absolutely to blame for the spreading of the big lie. And, and he can't whitewash that. Lawyer, does it just does it piss you off that the the Looney Tunes crowd has in many ways co-opted a major part of our profession? Like, yeah, it, it, it makes me sad. It makes me disenchanted. It makes me passionate to want to do things and to go out there and change it. But it also makes me feel like 
that's not that's not why I went to law school. Like it, it's a little disheartening. Yeah, it does. It does make me crazy to see this. And it's good to see the consequences have started to come for Rudy and Sidney Powell. I mean, everyone thinks of lawyers. Ben, you know this. Jordy and Brett, you probably know this, too. You guys probably make fun of Ben for this. But everyone thinks of lawyers as like, oh, you just you know, you just make stuff up, whatever works for you, whatever works for your client. But really, you know, look, are you given broad leeway? Are you expected and, and duty bound to be zealous in defending your client? Absolutely. But are you, are, is it okay to lie in a court? Absolutely not. There's serious consequences for an outright knowing factual lie. And we're starting to see some of the, but people look at Rudy and Sidney Powell and think, you know, t- they're almost typical lawyers, maybe just a little more extreme. No, they are out of this universe with what they're doing. And we're seeing some consequences for the, them now in terms of their bar and sanctions and that kind of thing. And Bill Barr wasn't as over the top Bill was better at dressing it up with legalese and he put it put in citations and it would look like a brief or a letter from DOJ. But Bill Barr is actually um, nearly as guilty of them as just making up ridiculous legal theories and facts. One of the things that I want to do at some point, I, I didn't do it for the book, is just count up Bill Barr's record in courts because he got his ass kicked constantly. He lost all the time in the courts because he was just making stuff up and stretching the law to ridiculous extremes. Um, so you're right, Ben. I, I do I do worry about the the impact that this has all had on on our profession. Switching subjects, uh, news just broke yeah. that Tom Barrick uh, was among three men charged in federal court yeah. in Brooklyn, New York. He was charged with acting as an unregistered foreign agent as they tried to influence the U.S.'s policy on the UAE. It was a four count indictment. Um, what do you think this means for other people? in Trump world, I guess is what I'm curious about. There's a lot of speculation that Kushner had his hands all over the work that Barrick was doing. So I'm curious, do you think there's any legal liability now reading the indictment? Is there any, should Kushner be worried? So it's interesting to see there's, there's a bit of a phenomenon. And one of of you all had, uh, had alluded to this earlier where cases that seem to be put on the back burner or stalled out under the prior administration are now starting to resurface. This appears to be one of them. CNN has new reporting on that. The Rudy uh, search warrant was at a minimum, I'll be charitable here, we don't know all the facts, put on hold by the prior administration and then resumed by the new administration. Um, It is interesting, and I think it's got to be concerning to Rudy and maybe others, that we are now seeing that this this is a Farah prosecution, a foreign agents registration act prosecution, which means the guy was lobbying our government on behalf of a foreign country without disclosing it. You're allowed to be a foreign lobbyist, but you have to disclose. Otherwise, you're effectively you're a secret agent, so to speak. And if you look at this indictment, it's really strong. I mean, he obviously was lobbying for UAE. He obviously he he did not register um, and he obviously was forget about just lobbying the U.S. government. He had the president's ear. These types of prosecutions are actually quite rare. There's only been about 20 of them in the last 50 years. But it would worry me if I was involved in this in any way in setting up that lobbying relationship, in arranging for the payments. Um, You know, you would have to show that the person knew about all the different aspects of the crime. But yeah, I I think it sends an important signal that we we as a government, as a DOJ are being more aggressive about these crimes because, you know, people, Rudy, Rudy's under investigation for this same thing. And Rudy's already trying the all, all minimization. Tra- oh, who cares? It's a paperwork crime. Oh, so I didn't fill out some form. Big whoop. But it's really a much more serious crime than that, because imagine if this was not illegal. Imagine if you could freely lobby Congress, the president, influence our national policy, influence our foreign policy and be working for a foreign government, even potentially a foreign adversary, and we not know that, we would have, it would be incredibly dangerous to our national security. So I think I would definitely take notice if I was involved in this kind of activity. And look, one thing that seems consistent about a lot of these people in Trump world is they really got intoxicated with the foreign money flowing in, right? I mean, Rudy and Manafort and Lev Parnas with all the money coming in from Ukraine and and foreign countries. And so if they played fast and loose with those laws, they could be looking at consequences now. When you just go through the list, you see all these, you look back, you see all the connections to UAE from the Trump administration. I mean, I think his first foreign trip was to Saudi Arabia and UAE. Right, Uh, right. Elliot Broidy, who was in uh, Trump's camp, was indicted um, for corrupt lobbying for UAE. What What do you make of all those connections? 
But Brett, those characters that you just mentioned, <laughs> like you just like it, it just gives me chills. I just so remember that 2016, 2017 period. These people were walking around like the shit, right? Yeah. They were walking around spending money, you know, and, and looking like rock stars. That's that's what they were. And like now the it's all come home to roost. Who who can forget Paul Manafort's? Was it ostrich? He had an ostrich vest, right? Wasn't that a detail from his case? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, they had to all yeah. dress like Bond villains. Like they all had. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of money coming in, and they either didn't know or didn't give a crap. And if you look at the um, the Barrick indictment, I mean, not only was he, it's one thing to lobby the United States, it's another thing to have the president's ear. And he actually succeeded. Like there are specific incidents in the indictment where he got language added into speeches that Trump was making. There's one incident where it's a little bit circumstantial, but it looks like he got a meeting canceled that Trump was going to take. Um, and there's a great quote where Barrick emailed, by the way, part of the reason this is such a strong case for prosecutors is this is a, this is an email and text case. They're not going to have some cooperator. They can say, Oh, that guy's a scumbag. That guy's a liar. This is Barrick's own words and emails. And after one successful, I think it's a media appearance by Barrick where he's, pumping up the UAE's interest, he emails back to the team and he writes, just hit a grand slam for the home team or something like that. It's like, wow, the the extent of foreign influence. And again, undisclosed foreign influence, right? I mean, if, if, you, if, you're, if you register, and by the way, I looked up the forum, I used it on CNN yesterday and one of my, I uh, used the, you know, the magic wall, I put it up. It's like a three page forum. It's very simple, yeah. but the point is, it's okay. You can lobby for a foreign government, but we need to know who you are and who you're lobbying for. And if that gets violated, that's really dangerous for our country. I think it, it does speak to how sort of how Wild West things were, especially in the early days. And, and Ellie, you have to ask why they're not filling it out and why they're not disclosing it. And yes. ultimately, the deals and things that they're working on, those sentences, adding a little language here, not taking that meeting has massive implications at home and abroad, both really does. selling our home. We talked about infrastructure. We get, they were, you know, both selling our internal security apparatus to foreign entities and allowing that influence to come in, influence our media, influence yep. the way we, 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 we work and we function. And then also wars, the war in Yemen, blockades, you know, there, um, literally people dying of hunger based on these influence peddling operations in our country. Yeah, I mean, right. The impact, and you learn a little bit when you're in government, but the impact of even a single sentence or a single action can, you know, can reverberate around the world. It's an interesting question. Why would they not have registered? I have to assume I have to give them enough credit that they knew they had to register. I mean, it's so elementary if you're involved in anything here. I have to think that they, they the most logical explanation for me is they didn't want it known because it looks terrible. Um, they thought they could get away with it either by structuring the payments a certain way through a third person or by hiding it, right? There's evidence in this case, they used encrypted apps and dedicated phone lines, evidence in other cases that people were using WhatsApp. Jared famously used WhatsApp and encrypted apps and that kind of thing. So there was a real sense of hubris, again, especially in the early days, and not just hubris, but like opportunism, right? They said, wow, there's there's power here and there's money here and let's grab it. I think that applies to Barrick for sure. And when you and when we say undisclosed, we mean not officially disclosed, but I think it's pretty clear to anybody in Trump's orbit that Trump probably knew about these relationships, that Kushner probably knew about this these relationships. If it he was dancing, Trump was dancing. <laughs> he was doing that with the sword. He was with I mean, the, of course he knew. putting his hand on the orb. But if you know, if it's <laughs> if it's proven, you know, if if you could make that link in a court, does that spell any sort of legal trouble for Donald Trump? You know, you would have to unfortunately it's well fortunately or unfortunately but it's not a crime to be lobbied by somebody who's not disclosed um unless he was in on arranging this or something i i don't see that in a, in an odd way you, you could even almost cast trump if we're just looking at barrack um as as a victim of this if he was the us official being lobbied by somebody who he didn't know but should have known if things were done right would have known was working for a foreign country I, you know did Trump know? Did Trump suspect? It is a question that is goes beyond really the scope of that indictment. But um, you know, he certainly set a tone for, you know, game on, guys. You know, let makes make hay while the sun's shining. Ellie, you want to chat insurrection for one quick sec? Sure, always awesome. happy to chat. Or not insurrection. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so look, recently a Florida man 
sounds like a bad joke opening. Mm-hmm. But recently, a Florida man was sentenced to eight months uh, for his yeah. role in the January 6th insurrection. Now, what do you make of that sentencing? Is it fair? Is it too light? Does it not go far enough? And does his sentencing now set a precedent for the remaining cases and how those will play out? So it's light. Um, it, I can't say it's beyond the scope of reason. Um, the prosecutors in this case were at, so we have sentencing federal sentencing guidelines, right? It's literally a grid. I can probably name if you give me any combination, I can probably from memory tell you about where it falls. But it's criminal history score this way, offense level, which is the severity this way, and then you just go boom. Okay, that's your recommended range. So what prosecutors asked for here was eighteen months, which is the middle of the range, a year and a half. And the judge gave less than half of that. So I think it's important that this person is going to jail, um, but I think it's not enough. I, I can't say it's so outrageous that, that you know, that it's as a wild miscarriage of justice, but I think it's light. And here's why. Um, first of all, the person pled guilty. He already got the benefit of ple- pleading guilty. That lowers you on the scale. Um, I don't think it sends enough of a deterrent message. And one of the established legitimate purposes of sentencing is deterrence. You're you're trying to both what we call lawyers call, Ben will recall this, specific deterrence, meaning I don't want Jordy, my Salas to commit another crime, Um, but also specific deterrence. I don't want other, I want other people to see this sentence and think, well, I'm not going to do that. I don't think eight months does that. I don't think a sentence of less than half the prosecutor's request does that. And do we need deterrence here? I mean, more than anywhere else, because this whole lie lives on not only the big lie, but the lie that the insurrection was harmless or that they were hugging and kissing the guards or nobody got hurt. And if you want proof of, of the danger, the FBI a couple of weeks ago in Virginia arrested somebody who was trying plotting to do essentially another January 6th. He had a model of the Capitol. He had firearms. He was building explosives. So the deterrent message is really important here. And to the second part of your question, Anytime you have a case like this with a lot of defendants, and there's over 500, I think over 550 people now charged. Um, and I used to do a smaller version of that. I would do mob cases with 25 defendants, 20 defendants, 18, whatever. The first few sentencing do tend to have a what, like a market setting effect, right? It's the same reason we put so much outsized um, importance in the primaries on Iowa and New Hampshire, because whatever happens first tends to influence heavily what happens later. Now, that said, I think this defendant did not was not charged with committing any of the acts of violence or destruction of property. So I think those folks are going to get hit harder. And the judge made a point of saying you have, and I give you credit, the judge said, for fully accepting responsibility here. So those folks who have been charged, and there are plenty of these still saying this is bogus, we didn't do anything, they're hurting themselves. They're hurting their own future prospects for sentencing by being in this sort of continuing form of denial. So um, so I think it's a subpar sentence. It's less than I, if I was the judge, I would never be a judge, but um, they would never make me a judge. Um, but it's less than I would have imposed. I think it's light. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that that judges step it up a bit. Ellie, I want to conclude with this. What uh, we talked about some of the legal issues that are top of mind, but yeah. is there a particular legal issue that's keeping you up at night now that you think really isn't getting the attention it deserves? Yeah, that's a great question. Let me start on a broader than just legal, but it's the 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 increasing prevalence and acceptance of non-truth. Um, the fact that, you know, and I think a lot of people are trying to do like Donald Trump, that if you deny something angrily enough, loud enough and repeated enough times for long enough, it eventually starts to take hold, at least with a substantial portion of the population. And that applies to everything from January 6th to vaccines. Um, and, and there seems to be a model taking shape of you can change reality just by revising. It applies to Bill Barr to an extent, to what I said we talked about earlier, how he's trying to revise history. And this notion of is there truth? You know, look, people have been asking that question for, for centuries, for since the start of human history. You know, what is truth? Is there truth? But I think it's different now. I mean, you guys are too young to understand, but there was a time in the 90s when I was probably your age um, where if you got caught in a lie as a, as a politician, it was humiliating. It was potentially career ending. It was damaging. You would get called out on it. Sometimes you would even acknowledge it and apologize for it. You spell potato wrong. Right. I mean, exactly. Like you think about the scandals in the, in the Clinton <laughs> years, the Bush years. 
Now there's no such thing. Nobody ever says, I had that wrong. I regret that. Um, nobody ever loses an election because, oh my gosh, they, they, they said they were going to pass tax reform and they didn't. I mean, now there's just this sort of perpetual cycle of BS that, again, not everybody buys, but enough people buy that you can survive politically. And, and that obviously is something that, 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 that I worry about. Um, you know, in the legal world, um, to me, the biggest issue, again, is DOJ getting back on its feet, regaining its credibility, restoring its standing in, in our society. Because I always, I'm a pure, I'm not a political, I, I, you know, liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, but I'm a prosecutorial purist. And I've always I was always raised at DOJ to believe DOJ is separate and apart and frankly, you know, above the other departments. We're not Treasury. We're not interior. We we are the last bulwark at DOJ. And if, if that goes, then that's dangerous. And, and I have my criticisms of Merrick Garland, but I think by and large, he's done a good job of bringing it back to where it needs to be over the last six months. Ellie Honig, thank you so much for joining the Midas Touch podcast. Jordy, you got to get Ellie that Midas Mighty gear. Yeah. So we could all definitely twin it next time you're on. <laughs> we do hope you come back. Hatchet Man, how Bill Barr broke the prosecutor's code and corrupted the Justice Department. Get it now. Midas Mighty, you need to order that book right after these messages. <laughs> and thank you so much, Ellie, for joining us on this podcast. And thanks for supporting Midas Touch. Thanks, guys. It was great talking with you. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back after these messages. What's up, Midas Mighty? Ben Micellis here, joined by my younger brothers, Brett and Jordy Micellis. Have you got your Midas merch gear? If you haven't gotten your Midas merch gear, I don't know what's taking you so long. I got my gear. Most of the Midas Mighty got their gear. We have some incredible stuff. Isn't that right, Brett? That's right. And with the new CDC guidelines that say you no longer have to wear masks indoors or outdoors if you've been vaccinated, a lot of people have been asking us, how do you let people know you've been vaccinated? How do you know if you're around other vaccinated people? A lot of people are concerned. But, you know, we already thought about this, guys. We got our Vaxxed and Relaxed merch line. You could get it now if you still want to wear masks, if you still feel comfortable wearing masks around indoors or outdoors. We got the masks. We got the tees. We got the shirts. We got it all. And we got more on the way. Way, so let people know you've been vaccinated. Shop at store.midastouch.com to get yours. And that's not all we have. We got the Club Democracy gear. We got the shout out to the Midas Mighty gear. We got it all. Go check it out. That's store.midastouch.com. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. Ellie Honing quite the guest enjoyed having him on and you think they feel like a little bit more refreshing when they come on a podcast like this and you know they get asked the tough questions but like you know with with like with a bunch of cool dudes <laughs> <laughs> i gotta you know, say we, we, i see ellie on cnn all the time he's always yeah. full on in the suit and tie and he comes on our show he's rocking his nike shirt uh you know just casual just you know just shooting shoot, shooting the shit you know what i think brothers. we do it's it's a boxing term it's called rope and dope right so it's like you kind of lull somebody to sleep a little bit i think people come <laughs> in and sort of underestimate the level of questions that we're actually going to bring to the table because we're very jokey we're very personable and then Bam, we get into it. Bam, Bam we expose Ted Cruz with Eric Swalwell. Bam, we expose Jim Jordan. Bam, it all happens. And I got to say, that was some A-plus book plugging by Ellie. Shout out him. That's how you plug a fucking book. Yeah, Ellie, Ellie did like some like a little bit of like some light flexing. Like he had those books ready. He said, oh, let me just pull this book up here, you know, and then he's like, yeah, you know, I'm uh, you know. <laughs> Like I'm, you know, just 46 years old. Like, you know, he could be like 30. Like, you know, he looks that like, was like the, in the great. That was a huge, that was a huge bomb drop right there that he was 46. It was a big bomb drop. Let's talk about a bigger bomb drop, Jordy. And by the way, we don't make those transitions up prior to. We are just good at it. Let's be very, be very clear. So here's the bombshell, you know, which was the right thing to do. Um, although the GQP is going completely crazy about it. Nancy Pelosi would not allow Jim Banks and Jim Jordan, who themselves were insurrectionists. They were actually involved 
directly and aiding and abetting the insurrection from taking place and assisting and basically undermining the election and um, basically not voting to certify the election results. You know, Kevin McCarthy, who should we have as our Kevin McCarthy? Who should we have as our head of uh, education? It's like, let's have who is the head of education? They that put they, Marjorie yeah. Taylor Greene on yeah. the education committee. Uh, let's have Marjorie Taylor Greene as it. They put, you know, Trump put you. We spoke about this with Ellie. Trump put Betsy DeVos in charge of education. Oh, um, Betsy. Obviously, we have our, and are still dealing with the nightmare at the post office being led by a man who hates the post office. It's just universally they pick the worst person for the job who's not only incompetent, they are actually malicious and want to destroy the organizations that they are put in charge of. That's just but by Republican the way, that, that's, yeah, that's that's their whole tactic. And that's the whole platform that Trump had had run on that that motivated so many people. Hey, I'm going to go in there and mess up the establishment. Well, he fucked it up real well. And McCarthy knew this was going to happen. I mean, when you're putting insurrectionists on the committee or you're attempting to put insurrectionists on the committee you don't put arsonists in charge of looking into who started the fucking fire that's not how an an arson investigation let's pick the three top arsonists and let them lead the arson investigation and by the way speaker pelosi did not reject all of his picks she rejected two of the picks who were outspoken against the reality of January 6th. Can we play the clip? Let's do it. It's my responsibility as Speaker of the House to make sure we get to the truth on this and we will not let their antics stand in the way of that. The other two made statements and took actions that just made it ridiculous to put them on such a committee seeking the truth. And antics are right. Jim Jordan has been covering up illegal activity his entire life. I mean, go Dude. back to when Jim Jordan was at, unfortunately, Jordy, sorry that you have got a claim on that at on. the Ohio State University covering up for child molesters. Um, now you have Jim Jordan going out there, making a scene in every quote unquote investigation he is ever involved in. We all know Jim Jordan at every single investigation, whether you talk about Benghazi or anything more recent. He's always the person trying to completely derail these investigations, make a scene, make it all about himself. Speaker Pelosi was exactly right to exclude them from this process. And by the way, she was still letting three other of of McCarthy's picks on the select committee. But Kevin McCarthy was enraged. He had a complete tantrum, a complete meltdown. He was more angry at the fact that Speaker Pelosi would not allow two insurrectionists to investigate the insurrection than he was about January 6th. We will run our own investigation. We have law enforcement. We have military We have doctors. We have people from all walks of life. They want to know the answer. The American people deserve that. They don't deserve politics. They don't deserve destroying the institution. No committee in Congress will work if one person is picking all who can serve. This has not happened before. The gaslighting, the crocodile tears from McCarthy are just insane i mean then you have these two things going on you have like the ultra gas lighting taking place um you know you you heard it there when you go to fake news uh aka fox um and you see like all of their chirons are like calling democrats insurrectionists yeah nancy pelosi the insurrectionist that's just part of their just despicable and disgusting strategy. But I'll tell you, we saw a trend. We saw some changes, I think, happening in the past 24, 48 hours where almost appear apparently in like a coordinated manner, um, Republican uh, leaders and senators, not, not not the wackiest of the GQP, but still the McConnell's and the death Santis's and people like that kind of all came out together and said, like, you need to take the vaccine. The vac. This is a serious COVID is serious and you need to take the vaccine. Um, and that seemingly came out of 
the blue, although many are speculating, and I think it's accurate what happened here, is that people are seeing that this crazy pro-death, when you kill people, they can't vote for you, okay? Um, And when you support policies that kill people, that makes people less inclined to say, yeah, I want to support that person who <laughs> wants to kill me and my and my children. You know, one of the videos we did, which I think I want to air nationally, we talked about this, uh, me, Brett and Jordy yesterday, was our maniac Marjorie video, Marjorie the maniac that we released um, yesterday, where she was asked questions about a young child actually in her district. Um, or in our state who uh, who died of COVID. I think it was her district. It could be a district too. Yeah. And she started cracking up and laughing at it with just this like sick, disgusting, like horror film um, kind of laugh. You have that. Then you also have people like, uh, what's that guy's name? Madison Cawthorn, the guy who faked, who faked that he was accepted into yeah, um, he also into the Naval Academy or something. He also yeah. punched a tree for for some reason and thought it was. And good he also faked being that. a Paralympic athlete. Yeah, no, well, the guy's a total fraud. Total so, fraud. so play his clip about what the GQP's top priority would be. This is what they're out there telling their constituents. This is their top priority if they are elected um, and they take control of the House of Representatives. I want to commend Rand Paul. Uh, he's always been a champion of justice, always been a champion of liberty, but his referral to the DOJ, I think, is well-founded. Uh, you can just go back and very simply look through the clips of Dr. Fauci speaking back in May or even subsequent months after that, and you can tell he has directly lied to Congress. Jenna, I will just tell you, unfortunately, the DOJ right now is con- under the control of the Biden administration. So what's going to come of it, I don't know, but I'll tell you, when we take the majority back in 2022, I'll make sure consequences are doled out. But we want to prosecute this guy to the full prosecute, full ability of the law. Once again, Fauci did not lie to the American people. Fauci and everybody was learning about a new coronavirus. That's why we called it the novel coronavirus, COVID-19. Not because there were 18 other COVIDs, which is what all these dumb conservatives have said in the past, but because it was a new strain of a virus that emerged in late 2019. And when something new happens, the way science works is that you have to study it and learn and things change and data changes. That's why at the beginning, when there was a mask shortage and medical professionals needed N95 masks. The edict was let's not wear masks because medical professionals need to wear masks and we don't know the efficacy of masks for the general public. Then that evolves and we learned that masks actually help because they block the droplets. They're now in more supply and the NIH and the CDC encourage that everybody wear masks to prevent the disease. So people like Corthorn and people in the GQP go, oh, they said not to wear masks. Look what they said back when this happened. Yes, because the science changed. That's what science is. It's an exploration of the facts and new facts emerge. That's much different than the malicious intent that they are going. And the fact that while Florida now accounts for 20% of the cases in the country, Texas has a almost equal share of the country. The rest of the cases are mainly coming from GQP areas. The fact that their priority is not to get the virus under control, but to fucking indict Dr. Fauci, who's the guy who has been on top of infectious diseases for the last multiple decades is just the height of insanity. And it's why we need to keep these people out of power. Man, you, you know said- how we coined the term Saki bomb? I think when Brett goes on these rants, I, th- I think we need to start calling them like BAMs. Like Brett's initials, BAM. It's a nod to his rapper name from back in the day. And it's just really <laughs> electric. So anytime Brett does what he just did, spit some fire, that's a BAM. BAM. I thought Brett sounded a bit like Dr. Fauci there. Although, I, I mean, literally, I mean, I thought his voice inflection kind of reminded me, <laughs> reminded me a bit of a bit of Fauci. But I, I honestly, I, Brett, your point's well taken. I think you're overcomplicating a bit, though. Fauci from day one pretty much was right about most things. Um, he said, you know, he said that he, the, the timing of when the vaccine was going to arrive. He was pretty much right on Trump would always lie about hydroxychloroquine and all of these things that didn't work. Um, And when the vaccine came out, all these GQP members are telling their people don't take the vaccine and the deaths and the serious sicknesses are in the unvaccinated 
population to a degree of like 99 plus percent. A survey released this week by the Annenberg Public Policy Center at UPenn found that 76 percent of respondents said they were somewhat or very confident in the veracity or the truth of the information about COVID coming from the CDC. At the same time, 68 percent said they believed Fauci. Um, that he was providing trustworthy advice. And 77% of people expressed confidence in information being put forth by the Food and Drug Administration about vaccines and vaccine science. So when you think about the timing of everything right here, you know, this polling um, came out July 20, came out yesterday. Um, it came out this week. So the polling is showing that in the high 70 percent of uh, of America, people support Fauci, people support vaccines. Um, and then we're seeing the unvaccinated population is about that 30 percent, just plus some other people who, for whatever reason, don't you know, don't get it. They still may have confidence in it, but they're not getting the vaccine. So when you see numbers like that and you're out there speaking like Cawthorn and you're out there laughing at killing children, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, you don't play politics with people's lives like that. And I think the American people are going to react sharply to it. But let this always be the warning that we always close on in the Midas Touch podcast, not to get complacent. Okay, the numbers are on the side of the pro-democracy forces. Even with the voter suppression tactics, we can get out there and we could win this thing. But we have to stay united. We have to stay in this fight together. We have to be pro-democracy. We have to favor competence. And we have to every single day put our energy into defeating the GQP. Brett Jordy, any final words? Yeah, one thing to say, and that's a shout out to the Midas Mighty!